welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. AINC programming is brought to you in part by Weissman Family Dental in Boulder, Colorado. For over 25 years, Weissman Family Dental has been providing high-quality dentistry. They offer regular checkups, emergency care, and a wide range of specialty services. They also have staff that speak Spanish. If you are looking for a new dentist, find them at WeissmanFamilyDental.com or call them at 303-494-0101 and tell them Audio Information Network of Colorado sent you. Thank you for joining us for the Thursday, May 4, 2023 reading of the Boulder Weekly. My name is Eric Levine. News. Slow burn. A shift in forestry management strategy could offer a new way to think about how we live with wildfire by Will Matuska, May 3, 2023. Angie Busby woke up, woke up surrounded by a haze. Smoke from the East Troublesome Fire, the second largest wildfire in Colorado's history, was covering Busby's home north of Jamestown. She couldn't see her hand in front of her face. Just a few hours later, sustained wind gusts up to 80 miles per hour helped start the nearby Calwood fire. When her home was not at risk, Busby, a trained wilderness firefighter and EMT, was on the scene, quote, pretty much after the first smoke report until the end, unquote. Quote, you disconnect from the fact that this is your home territory and you just do what you need to do to make sure everybody is safe, unquote, she says. The Calwood fire burned through more than 10,000 acres and 26 structures, including half of the Calwood Education Center's 1,200-acre property, where Busby is the natural resources manager. Prior to the fire, most of Busby's fire mitigation measures included things like thinning trees, opening up tree canopies, taking out diseased trees, and creating openings for meadows in an effort to emulate historic fire forest compositions and reduce fuel loads. Three years later, she sees where those efforts worked and where they didn't, and it's changing how she approaches managing her land. Quote, in the last couple of years, there's been a switch from just fuels reduction in the forest to home hardening, unquote, she says. Now, half of her time post-fire is spent increasing structure resilience. Busby's shifting views on land management are part of a larger discussion among scientists and land managers about what historical forest structures actually looked like. One new study published last month in the scientific journal FIRE questions the science that informed today's best practices in wildfire mitigation. Ongoing discussion. After more than a century of fire suppression and a two-decade mega drought, Colorado is experiencing more large fires than ever before. 10 of Colorado's 20 largest fires by acreage have occurred since 2018. 
The 2021 Marshall Fire is the state's most destructive fire by structure loss. Tony Cheng, director of the Colorado Forest Restoration Institute, says Colorado has always had big fires, but, quote, the key is those fires may be becoming more frequent over a longer period of the year, and those fires are also intersecting with a variety of human values, like protecting structures that are on today's landscape that weren't there 250 years ago, unquote. On Boulder County public lands, forest management and fire mitigation strategies center around land stewardship to improve forest health and structure, which includes forest thinning and patch cutting. Quote, research for us on the Colorado Front Range tells us that the overgrown dense structure that we have is the issue, unquote, says Stefan Reinold, Resource Management Division Manager at Boulder County Parks and Open Space. A lot of the thinning in the county occurs in the lower montane forests, where species like the ponderosa pine dominate the landscape. Patch cuts, clearing an entire area of trees, are done in the upper montane forests to species like the lodgepole pine to build age diversity and fire breaks. Those are typically less than 15 acres, according to Reinhold. Quote, how a fire would burn with a more open structure is really what we're after. So we're changing the structure to one that can receive fire rather than one that when it does receive fire, it is devastating, unquote says Reinhold, adding that forest structure has historically been more open than it is today. But the April 3 study in FIRE, an international and peer-reviewed journal, found tree density and fire severity in pre-industrial dry forests were more variable than previously thought. The study challenges the low severity model which argues these forests were low in tree density and had low and moderate severity fires. Instead, it highlights evidence indicating a mixed severity model with both low and high tree densities and a mixture of fire severities. According to the study, there is competing evidence supporting both models since the 1990s. Climate Consequences because of these findings, Chad Hansen, an author of the study and director of the John Muir Project, says thinning trees on wild lands are misguided and shouldn't happen at all. Hansen argues forest management projects, quote, under euphemisms like fuel reduction, unquote, increase the intensity of wildfires by reducing the cooling shade of the forest canopy, creating hotter and drier conditions on the forest floor and allowing higher wind speeds to sweep through open areas. There's also a climate consequence. More than 200 scientists, including Hansen, signed an open letter to President Joe Biden and members of Congress on November 4, 2021, calling for logging to be removed from the budget reconciliation and infrastructure provisions, stating, quote, logging in U.S. forests conducted as commercial thinning under the rubric of fire management 
emits about three times more CO2 than wildfire alone, unquote. Reinhold says, even if patch cutting creates more wind paths for fire, quote, its impact has been over-exaggerated in terms of trying to stop any kind of treatments in the forest, unquote. Forest thinning isn't an exact science. For example, the county doesn't have a diameter cut limit, but avoids cutting large legacy trees. Sometimes, though, bigger trees are taken out to favor smaller ones to establish higher age diversity. Reinhold says the county rarely sells the material they take out of the forest to a mill. He describes the forest landscape as a mosaic. Quote, getting on the ground and setting up the structure is an art form, unquote, he says. Focus on resilience. Rather than forest thinning, Hansen thinks resources should be spent protecting communities by creating defensible space around homes, especially bordering national forests, and making them more resilient to fire. Quote, the answer is to focus our resources and our attention on communities, on keeping homes from burning, and on helping people evacuate, unquote, he says. One recent study found a 246% increase in the number of homes and structures destroyed by wildfire in the last two decades. Researchers attribute that increase to climate change, more buildings located near flammable vegetation, and human ignitions. Despite 88% of Western wildfires in the past two decades not destroying any structures, 76% of wildfires that do burn homes or other structures were caused by humans. Last May, the county added new building requirements to its code to help protect against future wildfires in East Boulder County after the Marshall Fire, which is an expansion of its ignition-resistant construction requirements in the foothills and mountains of the county. In an October 17, 2022 interview, Cottonwood Custom Builders CEO Jeff Hinman said all of the projects his company had under construction switched to non-combustible exterior materials after the Marshall Fire. Cheng brings a risk management science approach to fire mitigation that includes both traditional forest mitigation practices and more emphasis on home hardening techniques, adding there isn't good evidence that forest thinning alone saves homes. The important question for him is asking what management actions can lessen the consequences to the values people care about. Quote, we need to have a much more robust and explicit discussion as a community and a society about how we want our fire and where we want our fire, because fire is going to happen, unquote, he says. Changing relationship. While a lot of trees were lost on Angie Busby's property where the Calwood fire burned, she says those areas are more biodiverse than the unburned areas. Quote, you go out there and see flowers you've never seen on the property. You see an increase of wildflowers and grass species and more wildlife out there, unquote, she says.
One thing all parties agree on is that we need more fire, which is essential for both forest and grassland ecosystems. One way to do that is through prescribed burns. Quote, the research shows that when you have more prescribed fire, it actually helps mitigate the impacts of a wildfire, unquote, Cheng says. Quote, it makes it less destructive in terms of human values and makes it easier to control in terms of fire management, unquote. The county aims to have controlled burns on more than 250 acres a year, but have only completed about 100 acres in the past four years combined. Reinhold says weather, like wind or temperature, drought, air quality, smoke restrictions, and additional staffing resources in, in the event something goes wrong are barriers. Quote, without more good fire on the landscape, we will ultimately be less effective in controlling risk, unquote, he says. There's also inherent risk with prescribed fires. Last summer, one in New Mexico turned into the biggest wildfire recorded in the state's history. Coming to terms with more fire can be difficult, Che says, especially since humans have viewed fire as the enemy and, quote, something to be conquered and squashed, unquote, since the 20th century, not to mention devastating fires that can be life-changing. He says we need to shift how we think about fire, quote, as a tool that can make our community safer and that can rejuvenate the forest and the wildlife and the plants, unquote. Busby says kids who visit the Calwood Education Center, quote, know what smoke means and they get scared and emotions run high. It's the same for adults, unquote. In the end, instead of adapting fire to a human landscape, Maybe humans should adapt to a fire landscape. Quote, Standards are always meant to be changed as new science comes about with current and new wildfire activity, research studies, and with climate change, unquote, Busby says. Quote, We all essentially change the forest management standards as we learn from each other, unquote. News. Now you know, May 4, 2023, this week's news in Boulder County and beyond by Boulder Weekly staff. State passes gun laws. Colorado is taking steps to address gun violence in the state. Governor Jared Polis on April 28 signed four bills into law establishing a three-day minimum waiting period to receive a purchased firearm HB 23-1219, and increasing the minimum age to possess a firearm to 21, SB 23-169, among other things. Grassroots group Colorado Ceasefire has long advocated for gun law reform in the state. Quote, while none of the measures are a fix-all, Addressing the problem in various steps means we can begin to address the gun fatalities affecting our state, unquote, the organization wrote in a statement to Boulder Weekly. Quote, the enactment of these measures indicates that gun violence prevention is on the move in Colorado, unquote. According to the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, 2021 
had the highest rate of gun deaths per 100,000 people, 18.2, in the last four decades. Senate Bill 23-168 opens the civil court system to lawsuits against gun manufacturers and their products if the product was used in an act of violence. In addition to family members and law enforcement, SB 23-170 expands who can petition for an Extreme Risk Protection Order, ERPO, often called Red Flag Laws, to medical care providers, educators, and district attorneys. ERPOs temporarily restrict access to or could lead to the confiscation of a firearm or concealed carry permit of someone who, quote, poses a significant risk to self or others by having a firearm, unquote. Quote, we are taking some important steps to help make Colorado one of the 10 safest states and building upon the ongoing work to make Colorado community sa communities safer, unquote, Governor Paulus said in a press release. This comes just over a month after a student opened fire at East High School in Denver and injured two school administrators, five months after the shooting at Club Q in Colorado Springs that killed five and wounded 17 people, and two years after the King Super shooting in Boulder that killed 10 people. Rocky Mountain gun owners based in Loveland filed two lawsuits against the state over the two bills that establish a minimum wait period and increase the age to possess a firearm. From Will Matuska. Cows build fire resilience. 35 heads of cattle are helping the city of Louisville open space mitigate wildfire risk. The city is implementing regenerative grazing practices in three designated areas of Davidson Mesa open space through May 14 as part of the recovery process following the Marshall Fire. Quote, the collaboration with local ranchers to reduce invasive weeds and mitigate potential wildfire fuel sources while improving soil quality and community education is one that we are happy to bring to Louisville and our valued open spaces, unquote. Adam Blackmore, Director of Recreation and Open Space for the City of Louisville, told Boulder Weekly via email, more regenerative grazing projects will occur on select properties like goats on North Open Space into the fall from Will Matuska. Xylazine found in drug market. The Boulder County Drug Task Force and Boulder County Public Health, BCPH, found xylazine in the county's illicit, illicit drug market. Xylazine is a drug used for sedation and muscle relaxation in animals like horses and cattle, but it's linked to human overdose deaths across the country. Also known as TRANK, it isn't approved for human consumption. BCPH urges residents to take caution. Xylazine could be mixed with heroin, fentanyl, cocaine, methamphetamine, and other narcotics. BCPH wrote in an email to BW that it is working to obtain xylazine test kits for people participating in its harm reduction program and for those experiencing homelessness.
The United States Drug Enforcement Agency, DEA, has reported xylazine is a threat across the country, finding 23% of fentanyl powder and 7% of fentanyl pills seized by the DEA in 2022 contained xylazine. BCPH says to administer naloxone if an overdose is suspected and someone is unresponsive. From Will Matuska. POP saga continues. With Boulder City Council set to vote on May 4 on whether to remove Lisa Sweeney Moran as a member of the Police Oversight Panel, panel POP, her lawyer maintains that city council does not have the authority to do so. In a May 1 letter to the city attorney, Teresa Tate, and deputy city attorneys Aaron Poe and Sandra Lanes, Dan Williams of Hutchison, Black & Cook disagrees with Poe's April 20 assessment that city council has the power to remove Sweeney Moran from the POP under a general city ordinance governing management of boards and commissions. Quote, the Boulder Municipal Code doesn't reference the POP as a board or commission, unquote, Williams tells Boulder Weekly. The POP actually has provisions that would be inconsistent with the idea that this is a board or commission. It doesn't function like a board or commission, unquote. According to Williams, boards and commissions must be composed of Boulder residents and make recommendations to city council, whereas the POP can include non-residents, those employed in Boulder or with children in Boulder schools, and makes recommendations on police oversight to the Boulder Police Department. Williams also maintains that special counsel Clay Douglas's recommendation to remove Sweeney Moran falls outside his task to investigate a number of code of conduct complaints, two of which claim that Sweeney Moran has been publicly critical of police and is unable to make impartial decisions on the panel. However, neither of the two code of conduct complaints directly accuse Sweeney Moran of misconduct. One complaint accuses members of the POP selection committee of misconduct by selecting Sweeney Moran. The second complaint accuses six members of Boulder City Council of misconduct by voting to approve Sweeney Moran's seat on the panel. Quote, given Mr. Douglas was not tasked with making recommendations outside of what is specified in the Code of Conduct, unquote, Williams wrote in his letter, quote, Mr. Douglas's gratuitous suggestion to remove Sweeney Moran from the POP should be treated for what it is, public input from a non-city resident that does not require any further action by city council, unquote. At its regular meeting on May 4, council has the option to accept the finding of Douglas's report and remove Sweeney Moran, reject the findings in the report, and confirm Sweeney Moran's panel position or, quote, take other action as council decides in its discretion, unquote. From Caitlin Rocket. Opinion. City council vote is a referendum on police oversight. City council can vote to not act on the special council's ruling on May 4, and they should. 
by NAACP Executive Committee and El Centro Amistad, May 4, 2023. On March 1, 2019, Boulder police surrounded black Naropa University student Zaid Atkinson, threatening his life and safety for the crime of doing his job. The incident went viral, drawing attention to facts on the ground. Boulder is no different than any other city in America. People of color are twice as likely to be stopped by police in Boulder. Police officers are unskilled in de-escalation tactics and quick to use compliance as justification for excessive force. NAACP Boulder County called for citizen police oversight and response, demanding not only an oversight entity, but a community-led process. NAACP Boulder County, a local unit of the national organization, has learned from 114 years of experience what would happen if community voices were left out of the decision-making process. Indeed, four years later, City Council wishes to overturn Police Oversight Panel, POP, members and their community decision-making and put it firmly in the hands of council members aligned with a particular political agenda. The newly formed POP was to be a community-led decision-making body, even if their decisions were limited by the inordinate powers of the police chief. Despite the relatively quick response of City Council to calm an outraged community in 2019, it is becoming clear the city was insincere in its efforts to create effective community police oversight. The nation panel was given the overwhelming task of creating their own bylaws. The city appointed police monitor Joey Lepari and obscured the mission in favor of the police union, as evidenced by Lapari's unnecessary statements in support of the police, which immediately undermined his credibility as a neutral actor. POP panelist training included an intense regimen of police involvement, inclusion in police ride-alongs and use of force trainings, working in police offices with armed officers, and little privacy. There was zero city infrastructure in place for a POP panel, inadequate and intimidating legal advice given, omission of what rights panelists did have, with panelists essentially under a gag order with the public. How any attorney working with police oversight models could leave out an appeal process in an oversight ordinance is worrisome. Equity officer Amy Kane was apparently unable to assist either the panelists or the monitor in meaningful community engagement, which still has not occurred, despite the ordinance requiring it. The POP became such a disappoint disappointment, deviating from its original intent, subverted and obfuscated in its mission, that the NAACP, considered calling for the resignation of all original POP panelists. Selecting members. In 2022, in accordance with the current ordinance, one representative each from NAACP Boulder County and El Centro Amistad, along with two currently serving panelists, made up the POP selection committee 
and trusted to choose six new panelists. The POP Selection Committee interviewed prospective panelists using the same guidelines as the previous selection committee with the same interview questions and were overseen and guided throughout the process by Equity Officer Kane and contracted administrator and original police task force member Sean Ray Pasalacqua. Considering the city's willingness to take on a Boulder citizen's baseless complaint regarding the POP selection committee process and an alleged failure to assess the bias of potential POP nominees, it is unfortunate that the council shows no faith in the city's own staff and hires. Bias, in all its nuances, was considered throughout the POP selection process, cultural sensitivities, diverse experiences, and disproportionate policing statistics must be included in any discussion of police interactions with the community. The POP Selection Committee unanimously confirmed and reaffirmed the slate twice presented to City Council. Certain Council members and the police union exhibited hysterical reactive bias toward one particular candidate on the slate. NAACP's goals for the POP were to identify candidates who possess the ability to assess complaints, offer remedies through proposed sanctions, policy and training recommendations, and identify areas of concern to the community. If community concerns were addressed proactively, incidents such as Zaid Atkinson experienced in 2019 could be avoided. Defining bias. To be outspoken about the possibility of more equitable policing strategies is not a disqualification for citizen police oversight under the current ordinance. Attempts to skew the intent of the word bias to justify efforts by some city council members in overriding community decision-making regarding POP selection is patently absurd and borders on the Orwellian. The same council approved the entire slate of recommended POP members and is now considering substituting the opinion of one attorney who failed to get facts right in his report to council. Council members have irresponsibly wasted taxpayers' money hiring a special counsel-slash-investigator in a misguided attempt to undo the results of their own vote. Lawyers have already called the special counsel's work, quote, shoddy, unquote, and vulnerable to legal attack for his ruling's lack of investigative credibility. City Council initially failed to vote on the POP slate, but ultimately the slate passed six votes to three. In obvious frustration, Council members Yates and Weiner telegraphed their intent to revise the ordinance, apparently pushing to have community groups no longer hold any sway in choosing who would serve and represent diverse community interests. Instead, these council members would make the POP just like every other city commission, with participants chosen through the, quote, superior judgment, unquote, and political savvy of city council members, ensuring a POP panel less apt to threaten the status quo. 
Such actions would result in a loss of legitimacy and would, in fact, render police oversight completely toothless and ineffectual, which appears to be what many on, on council and the police union want. City council can vote to not act on the special council's ruling on May 4, and they should. It is the only choice with any semblance of integrity. Empty words stating council members' support of police oversight, coupled with actions that absolutely undermine POP's abilities to be a voice for community members, says something loud and clear to all. The city does not want effective police oversight. Community of Boulder, please be better than this. Police, if sincere about accountability, have nothing to fear from community-driven oversight. Council members, if sincere about representing more than just a powerful minority, whose complaints show they do not even police poli believe police oversight is necessary, have nothing to fear acting with integrity and according to the law. Community members, we have everything to fear if this rare and limited opportunity for community decision-making is quashed. Effective police oversight needs freedom from city council politics. This opinion does not necessarily reflect the views of Boulder Weekly. Features. Weed between the lines. The psychedelic succulent. Mescaline has a 5,000-year history of use. Colorado will help define its future. By Will Brenza, April 27, 2023. In the late 1800s and early 1900s, mescaline had a real shot at being accepted as a medicinal and therapeutic substance. The psychedelic molecule is most often associated with peyote, the spineless, button-shaped cactus native to Mexico and the southwestern U.S. that has been used ceremonially by Native Americans for centuries. And now, in the state of Colorado, mescaline is getting a second shot. Even though, according to the Drug Enforcement Administration, DEA, it's a Schedule I narcotic with, quote, a high potential for abuse, no currently accepted medical use in, in treatment in the United States, and a lack of accepted safety for use under medical supervision, unquote. That classification is being challenged by recent research. With the passage of Proposition 122, mescaline was legalized in this state along with, alongside psilocybin, psilocin, DMT, and ibogaine. And by 2026, state-certified clinics will be able to offer mescaline therapy legally. The first recorded evidence of mescaline use comes from the Inca and Aztecs more than 5,000 years ago, and they weren't just eating peyote buttons. Enter Peruvian torch, Econopsis peruviana, Bolivian torch, Econopsis boliviana, and San Pedro cactus, Econopsis pachinoe. These common, federally legal cacti are often found in garden stores, nurseries, and personal cacti collections. And like their cousin peyote, they are packed with mescaline, 
San Pedro, Bolivian, and Peruvian torch were the preferred cacti of consumption for the Inca. Their gods were regularly depicted holding cuttings, and their priests and shaman would regularly ingest them. The Aztecs were similarly fond of mescaline. They took peyote as a warrior sacrament, believing it to be a protective plant. The Aztecs accessed it through the, their northern neighbors, the Huichol, Native Americans of Mexico's western Sierra Madre Mountains. When the Spanish arrived, missionaries tried unsuccessfully to stamp out peyote use. In fact, peyote use was unintentionally spread following colonization, as the U.S. government pushed Plains Indians into reservations in the southwestern U.S. where peyote grows naturally and where other native tribes already had a history of ceremonial ingestion. By the mid-1800s, more North American tribes were using peyote than prior to the arrival of European colonizers. By the late 1800s, the Native American Church, NAC, was founded. Its members are still protected by the Constitution to use peyote for spiritual practices. Today, the NAC has more than 230,000 members spanning geography, reservations, and tribes. Around the same time as the founding of the NAC, pharmaceutical companies and researchers started to take an interest in mescaline. In 1893, Park Davis Drug Company began offering a peyote tincture as a respiratory stimulant and heart tonic. Two decades later, pharmacologists in New York City ran a trial investigating whether the drug could offer insight into schizophrenia. In 1919, German pharmaceutical company Merck started marketing it. Then came World War II, and research motivations changed. Nazi physician Kurt Plettner, later recruited by the CIA for MKUltra, experimented with mescaline on concentration camp prisoners as a, quote, truth serum, unquote. By the 1970s, mescaline was being actively persecuted by the U.S. government's new, quote, war on drugs, unquote. However, research published in the journal Sage Chronicle in 2021 surveyed 452 respondents on their experiences with mescaline and concluded that it, quote, may produce a psychedelic experience that is associated with the spiritual significance and improvements in the mental health with low potential for abuse, unquote. Another study published in 2021 found that, quote, naturalistic use of mescaline is associated with psychiatric improvements and enduring positive life changes, unquote. Where the history of this distinctly American psychedelic goes now is largely up to us here in Colorado. Several other states, counties, and municipalities across the U.S. have legalized or decriminalized mescaline possession, but Colorado is the only one slated to certify mescaline clinics to administer state-sanctioned psychedelic-assisted therapy. Cuisine, Nibbles, The Teas That Bind, 
by John Lendorf, May 4, 2023. The Boulder Dushanbe Tea House is an otherworldly icon. Its ornate carved plaster pan panels, colorful ceramic tile mosaics, and fragrant rose garden are a breath of fresh air amid downtown Boulder's prevailing brick motif. After 25 years on 13th Street, North America's only authentic Persian tea house is a dining landmark that is always on tourists' must-visit list. Its timelessness suggests that proper Earl Grey has been served there forever. Thirty years ago, that location near Central Park was an empty lot. The tea house, handcrafted by 40 artisans in Tajikistan, was sitting in 200 shipping crates at a Boulder water treatment plant. It would take a decade of fundraising and the usual municipal hurdles before the crates were opened and the tea house was erected in 1998. Like most Boulderites, Lenny Martinella was only dimly aware that Boulder even had a tea house. Quote, I was biking down 13th Street and I saw a sign on an empty lot for the future tea house that included a small vignette of the tea house. We had opened the Naropa Cafe at the time. I'm like, wow, that'd be an awesome restaurant. I called the number and said I was interested, unquote, says Martinelli, chef and co-owner of the Boulder Touchambe Tea House since it opened. Martinelli and his wife, Sarah, also operate Leaf Vegetarian Restaurant, Chautauqua Dining Hall, and Three Leaf Farm. The couple eventually received an invitation to bid on running the restaurant, according to Sarah. Quote, They sent out about 100 invitations to restaurateurs around town. I had just graduated from art school, so we made a really pretty proposal, unquote, she says. Quote, Back then, Boulder restaurateurs didn't know if they wanted to get involved with the city. We were young. I wanted to say ignorant, but I'll use the word innocent, unquote. Looking back 25 years, Sarah admits the couple had no idea what they were taking on. Quote, Nobody had an accurate idea what the tea house would look like, unquote, she says. Quote, we thought it was going to be like a little Japanese tea house. We were quite overwhelmed when we saw how big it was, unquote. Sarah faced an interesting challenge in 1998. While her husband devised an appropriate international food menu, she worked on the tea menu. Quote, I was an herbalist, but I didn't know much about tea. The internet was almost non-existent, unquote, she says, noting there was no way to Google, quote, how to run a tea house, unquote. Quote, I just dove into tea the Camellia sinensis plant, and found people to teach me and mentor me, unquote, she says. The tea house now serves more than 100 different teas and blends Sarah has chosen, from organic Longjing Jihu tea to palace needle green tea. Several generations of servers have been educated in the world of tea and how to serve each variety properly. 
When Sarah is at the restaurant, she serves as the tea sommelier. Quote, tea folklore and ethnobotany, that's my favorite stuff, how tea has become so important to so many cultures, unquote, she says. Quote, one of our goals has always been the cultural impact of the tea house, the idea of two cultures coming together on a grassroots level, and a huge part of cultural exchange is food, unquote, Sarah says. As chef, Lenny's current transglobal tea house menu ranges from Persian koreshed kadu, Korean pan-fried noodles, and Ethiopian tibs, to Peruvian parahuela and Tajik plov. Tea and food pairing has become part of the tea house experience beyond the traditional British style afternoon teas. Sarah says her favorite dish is still Indonesian peanut noodles, an item on the menu since the early days. Quote, with the richness of the sauce on the noodles and the complex flavors, I wouldn't pair it with a heavy black tea. I would choose a tea like a Japanese sencha that is lighter, crisper, and has an earthy, crisp, grassy flavor as a counterbalance, unquote, she says. In summer, the Boulder Dushanbe Tea House attracts as many visitors for the 25-year-old Rose Garden as it does for the art, tea, and food. Quote, I love all the roses, but that's not us, unquote, Sarah says. Quote, the Boulder Rose Society maintains more than 80 varieties of roses. They won't let me touch them, unquote. Over time, the gift from the people of Boulder's sister city, Dujanbe, Dushanbe, Tajik, Tajikistan, has been recognized as a cultural landmark. Quote, we now know more about Dushanbe and the history of Central Asia. This art very much predated the Soviet years when it was created. Now they've reclaimed a lot of their traditional art in Tajikistan, unquote, Sarah says. Several Boulder events will celebrate the Tea House's 25th anniversary. The 25 Years of Global Friendship, the story of the Boulder Dushanbe Tea House exhibit, is on display at the Museum of Boulder through June 18, detailing the history of the Tea House through photos and artifacts. The Boulder Dushanbe Tea House celebrates its 25th anniversary with events May 19 through 21, including a four-course Tajik dinner, a Tajik-themed afternoon tea, a tea market, tea tastings and workshops, and a contemporary Tajik art exhibit. Call for reservations 303-442-4993. Quote, the tea house is a treasure, and I'm very grateful that we get to be part of it. I really think people in Boulder feel like this is their tea house, unquote, Sarah says. Entertainment, music, no rules. Paul DeHaven of Heavy Diamond Ring isn't afraid to tread radical music territory by Adam Perry, May 4, 2023. It was a particularly shreddy lick in the Power Rangers theme song that made Paul DeHaven want to play guitar. Quote, 
I was like, Mom, I think I want to play guitar, unquote, the singer-songwriter behind Denver-born folk rock band Heavy Diamond Ring remembers saying as a 12-year-old growing up in Arvada, quote, and then I forgot that I'd said that, but she remembered, unquote. DeHaven's mom surprised her son with a used Yamaha classical guitar she picked up from a garage sale for $20. Sidelined from playing baseball after fracturing his thumb, DeHaven became laser-focused on mastering the guitar. Quote, My mom's friend taught me how to play a G chord and how to move around and make a little melody, basically like slide guitar, but with one finger. And then I stopped playing sports, unquote, he says. He quickly grabbed an electric guitar and started a punk band and even went on to study music in school, getting a degree in jazz performance at CU Denver. Quote, I was never really very good at playing jazz, but I learned so much, unquote, DeHaven says. Quote, I was obsessed. I'm still obsessed. I just can't learn enough about music, unquote. His fixation has been a wellspring of creativity. DeHaven, whose family moved from Texas to Colorado when he was nine months old, was a key member of Denver's much-lauded alt-folk group Paper Bird, which broke up in 2018 after a decade together. But the end of that band didn't slow him down. With a little more twang, DeHaven and former Paper Bird vocalist Sarah Anderson went on to form Heavy Diamond Ring, whose lone long play 2019's self-titled debut throws an L.A. sheen on what Paper Bird began. With the band's sophomore album set to release this fall, DeHaven and his bandmates, Anderson on vocals, plus Blake Stepan on bass, Mike Lang at the keys, and Orion Tate Ignelzi on drums, will be whetting fans' appetites through the year with shows like the upcoming Bluebird Theater show on May 5. While Heavy Diamond Ring is DeHaven's musical main squeeze, DeHaven has produced a plethora of other projects to sate his endless hunger to create, including three solo indie folk albums that are as gritty as they are beautiful. In 2021, DeHaven released a gorgeous experimental record called Caribou Landscapes Volume 1 that was sparked by an artist-in-residency program he did in Netherland. Late in 2022, DeHaven shared his, quote, pandemic record, unquote, an alt-pop album called Pink Kimono, blending dancey tunes with folk songs into a collection DeHaven has described as, quote, kind of schizophrenic, unquote. Trending into even more radical musical territory, this spring, DeHaven released a pair of albums, a collaborative instrumental surf pop record under the moniker Sheep Lord called Seiki Sessions and Death Beach, a lush, experimental, mostly instrumental solo record, and all this after breaking his arm while in Sayulita, Mexico, forcing him to make music chiefly with keyboards, synthesizers, and computers. He calls Death Beach, quote, a silver lining stitched of necessity, loss, and a little dose of despair, unquote. 
Keep an eye out for DeHaven's upcoming, harder-rocking album, Burden of Paradise, his first solo record to feature a full band rather than the, quote, bedroom recordings, unquote, of previous records. And when DeHaven isn't writing, recording, or performing, he's racking up the miles on his car, driving back to the Centennial State after his wife got a job that took the couple to Santa Fe. Quote, once a month, month, every two weeks, I'm up here for shows, he says. It's a lot of driving. It's a big change, but it's worth it, unquote. It's hard to keep up with the Haven, but as David Bowie once said about himself, although you don't know where he's going next, you know it won't be boring. Quote, I love a career like Brian Eno's that has no rules, unquote, the Haven says. Quote, that's something I aspire to, because I don't care what people come to expect from my music. I just want to make good stuff. I want a sustainable life in music. I would love to be able to continue to see the fruits of my labor turn into the small amount of notoriety it takes to continue doing more performing and writing and recording, and as much as possible on my own terms. On the bill. Travis McNamara with Heavy Diamond Ring and Summers Baker, 7 p.m. Friday, May 5, Bluebird Theater, 3317 East Colfax Avenue, Denver. Events. Vocal Freedom Singer-Songwriter Showcase, hosted by Rebecca Folsom, Friday, May 12, 2023, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m., at the Center for Musical Arts, 200 East Baseline Road, Lafayette, Colorado, 303-665-0599. Tickets are $15. Events in person, Ascent, a Boulder Soundwalk, Saturday, May 6, 2023, 7 o'clock a.m. Also Friday, May 5th, Sunday, May 7th, and Monday, May 8th, all at 7 a.m. Scott Carpenter Park, 1505 30th Street, Boulder, Colorado, free. Experience music as never before with Ascent, a Boulder Soundwalk, a free interactive sound installation composed by Divya Mouse and performed by Ars Nova Singers. Installed in Boulder Scott Carpenter Park, this active and immersive nature concert invites listeners to move with the music as they explore the sonic landscape on a self-guided sound walk. Discover each vibrant musical piece in turn as you venture throughout the park. Bring your sense of curiosity and adventure along with some good walking shoes. Please note, there is also a wheel-friendly version of the sound walk, making it accessible to all levels of ability. Event contact Ars Nova Singers, Kimberly Brody, Kimberly, that's K-I-M-B-E-R-L-Y, at Ars Nova Singers, A-R-S-N-O-V-A-S-I-N-G-E-R-S dot org, or call 303 819 0058. Events. Full Moon Sunrise Hike and Yoga. Friday, May 5, 2023, 
7 a.m. to 8.15 a.m. at the People's Crossing Trailhead, 48 Pearl Street, Boulder. $27 drop-in or included with membership. With Lori F., bring in the full moon with a hike at the People's Crossing. Hike in for a short while with your mat, then set up for about 45 minutes of yoga before hiking back out to the trailhead. Bring a yoga mat. Water, a headlamp, layers. We will meet at the People's Crossing parking lot at 15 minutes before the start of class, heading off right at class time, so please arrive early to find parking. No walk-ins allowed for this class. $25 um, drop-in. Event contact is info at yogapearl.com. Thank you for joining us for the Boulder Weekly. My name is Eric Levine. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.